Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast. I'm Manuel Feit, hier ist Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, how's it going? Yeah, very, very well. Uh, lovely, toasty and comfortable um, at home, which uh, <laughs> I only mention because you are on the road. I feel like uh, right now at least one of us is not at home every week when we do this show, uh, whether it's Leipzig or, you know, anywhere really. And t- this week you seem to be somewhere else entirely. Yeah, I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, I was here for the... MLS Cup final covering that for Transfermarkt. Um, an astonishing game with some Bundesliga connections. Steve Chirondolo, those who follow Hannover 96, of course, will remember him. He's an all-time legend at the club. I think he played the most games of any player for them, right? Um, I think that's the mm-hmm. only professional team he's played for. He He's the head coach of LAFC, and he ended up winning the title thanks to a late, late goal by Gareth Bale <laughs> and then a penalty shootout. Um, Philadelphia Union, of course, also some Bundesliga connections, old and new, right? Ernst mm. Tanner, the former sporting director of Hoffenheim, um, is in charge of Philadelphia Union. But also Paxton Aronson um, broke that story earlier this week, or actually on my way to LA, that he is going to join Eintracht Frankfurt uh, Medical this mm. week. Stefan. So, watched a little bit about a little bit of him as well. Um, got some quotes. So, that's going to be the newsletter later this week from me. But other than that, yeah, it was a great game. Enjoyed it. Um, not that's like yeah. my Bundesliga links, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you did get to enjoy some interesting celebrity watching after the game, didn't you? Yeah, Will Ferrell was there uh, in the dressing room. One of the oddities of US sport is that you're allowed into the dressing rooms here, which is kind of surreal. Um, and Will Ferrell is one of the owners, right? Colin Hanks, too. Tom Hanks' son, also there. Hmm. Uh, he's also partying it up with the players. Um, I was not allowed to the after party. That would have been interesting. But yeah, it's good times. <laughs> do, you know, do you want to hear an interesting bit of information about Colin Hanks? Uh, which has sure. nothing to do with football. If I'm not mistaken, it might not be him, it might be another one of the Hanks brothers, but I think Colin Hanks did the voice for all the Woody doll toys. So do you remember <laughs> like in the 90s when they came out and you'd pull a string and it'd say something, oh, I've got a snake in my boots. Apparently that wasn't Tom Hanks, that was one of his brothers, and I think it was Colin. So there you go. I think Colin is his son. I don't know. Oh, was that his son? Oh, right. Well, it was, yeah. it was his brother then? Sorry. Okay, it was his brother who did the voice, I think. So I guess that yeah. wasn't him. Interesting. Oh, well. Just a, to- just, a, just a totally random bit of Hollywood trivia there that has no relation <laughs> whatsoever to what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, Justin Bieber was at the game. You know, Canada's mm. worst ever export. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, we should we should really move on to the German football. At some point here, people are just going to probably wonder why they've tuned into this episode of TMZ. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do that. Um, what, what, let's 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 start it. Like, let's get into that. Um, I guess right after this, this episode of the Game Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You always find the latest odds, team matchup info, players' news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as you continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to Bet Online. .ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That is betonline.ag. Make sure to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. That's B 
Believe, B-L-E-A-V. Bet online, where the game starts. So, Stefan, what should we start with here? Do you want to start with the Champions League or do you want to start with Bayer Leverkusen finally waking up to the 2022-2023 season? Yeah, let's do the Bundesliga first and then we can finish up with the Champions League. Yeah. Uh, keep people waiting for the end, for the juicy bits. But actually, this is probably the juiciest part of the show just because it was just the mm. craziest match, of foot, uh, game of football. Um, I think in both of our... I think we both predicted uh, Union to win this game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah. Wrong. It, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wasn't the first time, won't be the last. Um yeah, it was it was a really interesting game. I actually was a bit well, I mean, the first half bored me to tears, to be perfectly honest with you, and I was so close to just turning the thing off in general, to be honest with you, and just doing something else more productive with my Sunday afternoon. But um it was a really interesting game in a sense that I think it really illustrated uh just how fragile this Leverkusen side is with like in terms of confidence and in terms of, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that kind of mental aspect because obviously people will look at that scoreline and be like, okay, well, you know, Leverkusen turned it on, they flipped the switch and suddenly everything was amazing and they just blew Union away. But in truth, it was a game in which Union kind of controlled most of the first half uh, without really threatening, to be fair to them. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Leverkusen got a very fortunate goal, I thought, Um just as the second half started. Unfortunate in the sense that it was an unmanned, unmarked player uh, in the box for the corner, uh, which I think is the third week in a row anyone have conceded a goal from a corner, which uh, isn't quite like them. So maybe that's a sign of maybe some uh, wear and tear on that side. Uh, but after that happened, Union just completely capitulated and Leverkusen just kind of suddenly just felt like they had, you could see like the confidence oozing from them. Um, they hit Union straight away with two incredible counter-attacks. And all of a sudden, you got guys like Mitchell Backer just kind of skinning players, playing incredible through balls. uh, And all of a sudden, you could do no wrong. So, But that all came from this one goal, which just kind of turned the game on its head. And I mean, that's why we all love football, because it has that ability to just completely flip a game upside down and the team that are top of the table just suddenly capitulate and the team that are bottom of the table just become mm. gladiators. So, uh, you know, there's that. But So, I'm obviously, you know, Leverkusen showed what they're capable of, but I'd be, res- I'd be reserved to suggest that, or I'd be reluctant to suggest that this was a obvious example of, you know, Xabi Alonso fixing what was broken in that mm. team because... To me, they still look like the same fragile Leverkusen side. Yeah, and they they benefited from some individual errors too, right? I think what's what's yeah, really interesting about about games like this, and I think we've had a lot of them in the COVID era, way more than I think previously, is that when things go sideways, even among top teams, the results become lopsided really quickly. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, we look at uh, what Bayern did to Barcelona on several occasions, right? But um, there's some other results, like the the Gladbach win over Bayern last year in the Pokal comes to mind, the 5-0 victory, right? Um, mm. And or, or Union's win over Schalke um, earlier this season. It seems like, and there's probably countless other examples too, when 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 these teams that are very very much built on being tactical, astute, and disciplined. When when you take that away from them, I guess the, the, the margins are so thin that all of a sudden the beatings seem to be way more frequent than they used to be. And I think there is there is something to it that a lot of it comes to the tight schedule that we have been experiencing, right? Um, mm. You see it a lot. This is a phenomenon. I know we're, we're not a North American football podcast, but it's a phenomenon that you see in North American sports quite a bit where the schedule is really heavy, right? For Whether it's basketball teams or hockey teams, sometimes blowout victories happen, even though the, the lines, the, the, the balance is so much closer, far more frequently. And mm-hmm. I think it's because teams realize the schedule is tight. They realize the game is lost. And I think because of that, you're getting way heavier defeats and victories than you did in, if we had an enormous schedule, yeah, it's 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 just going to be really interesting to see how Union respond to this. Um, 
because yeah. they have this reputation for being these mental mentality monsters. Uh, I think it's the word that's been used to describe mm. them. And they have been. I mean, even even up until what last week against Gladbach, when a similar situation happened where they conceded a goal and they conceded a goal first from a corner. Uh, but yeah. they were able to kind of really compress the match and eventually, uh, you know, turn it around in their favour. And it was actually Gladbach that capitulated in that match. So, you know, they are, up mm. until even last week, they were still showing that they had that fire and hunger. But, um, yeah, I think, I think yeah, as you said, you know, the, the first goal was poor defending. I can't remember if it was the second or third goal, mm. which was a goalkeeping mistake, uh, which is obviously another kind of freak goal. So, yeah, maybe Urs Fisher will sit down and say, look, guys, that was a one-off. Uh, we're not going to lose games like that every weekend. And, you know, we just kind of get on with it. And they've got Augsburg next, which is a perfectly winnable game for them. So, you know, maybe they can bounce back. But if they don't, we might end up seeing this team kind of cling on until they can get to that kind of break for the World Cup. Uh, and then obviously Urs Fisher can just kind of go back to the drawing board and rebuild that team over the pre in this what is what will end up being a preseason. But uh, even if they yeah. do kind of go on and lose the next two or three games, it's still incredible what they've managed to achieve already this season, you know. And even if they do fall six or seven points behind Bayern, it's not the end of the world for them by any means. So yeah, we'll just have to kind of wait and see, I suppose, won't we? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that we only really have two games left, right? We have the the um, Tuesday Wednesday fixtures, and we're getting we're going to rush through a preview at the end of the show um, because usually you would get like a full preview show. Sorry, but um, we're not going to be able to do the full preview this for this midweek fixtures. But we are going to give you some predictions. Um, but then you have the Saturday fi- Saturday the Friday Saturday Sunday fixtures, and then that's it for three and a half months. <laughs> Which is just bonkers. Um, I got yeah. A lot of these guys will go to the World Cup, right? But for the Bundesliga, that's a long period where they're they're going to be on a long break, and um, it's going to be really interesting how teams will handle the the next two fixtures. I think as well, Union Berlin, of mm-hmm. course, not impacted by that, but a lot of teams are sending players to the World Cup, um, and I think there's been some rumor that. Tite, the Brazilian head coach, asked his players to fake injuries now so that they will be fit for the World Cup. And you hear stories like that. So you actually wonder like, how many of these guys are now have the World Cup in the back of their head and saying, okay, we only have to get through two more fixtures healthy, mm. right? Uh, I mean, Canada had that huge scare with Alfonso Davies, wondering if he would be fit. How many players have mm. that in the back of their head? And Union Berlin don't really have that. So they can basically just say, like, look, guys, let's give everything for two games and then heal up for three and a half months and come back to it and and see how it goes when everything returns in February. Just that's crazy, Stefan. What are we gonna do the next three and a half months? Uh well I'll be I'll be fishing out my Queen's Park season ticket and thankfully heading down to Glasgow to watch some games for the first time in probably five or six years. Because you're right, it is. It's uh it's it's three and a half months off for a lot of these players. It's three and a half months off for domestic football, and unless you're glued to your TV day and night for the World Cup, uh, it's going to be a huge break. And even after the World Cup, there's still going to be a huge break after that. So yeah. uh, it's going to be really interesting. But uh, there's one player in particular, I think, is maybe a good segue to kind of move on to the next topic that mm. uh, Hansi Flick will be hoping doesn't pick up on injury in the next couple of games. Yeah, Yusufu Mukuku, right? Um... With everything that's going on, and, and we have this debate um, offline all the time, well, online, but off the show, um, about Niklas Vilkrug and whether he's going. And I think we both agree that he is probably an option as well, but he's not going to start for this team, right? He's the sort mm-hmm. of guy that you you last hope kind of guy. Um, Mukuko, though, he's probably now a realistic option to be actually a player that could start. Um, not saying mm. it is going to happen. I think that Flick might stick Kai Havertz up there to try play him in what is essentially the Chupumoting role now, right? Because he's mm. going to be surrounded by an army of Bayern Munich attackers. And I think the, the, the thing that Flick will go for is trying to replicate whatever Bayern Munich are doing in attack because it worked so well in the Champions League. So, I, but... I think now you're looking at Mukuku, who's incidentally turning 18 the day the World Cup starts, and you think he is going to Qatar. I mean, he had another great game on the weekend, scoring again. Mm. 
he's um i mean a lot of the you would think that the contract stuff would be bothering him it's not and in, in fact everything now indicates that the day he's flying to qatar he'll probably have put pen to paper to a new contract and with the maturity level he has shown i mean would you be worried him playing for germany at the world cup i, I would go so far and say maybe it's time yeah no it's it i think it's kind of what everything's kind of leading up to this point you know mm. i wrote a newsletter on him this week and within that i kind of go into a lot more detail as to why he's doing so well this season uh mm. particularly up against this dortmund side which i can go into a little detail on but the thing that really stood out to me is that you know he's so quickly gone from being this kind of shy youngster who we weren't quite sure if he was ready to play senior football whether he's whether he was strong enough whether he's big enough uh to turn it into this absolute kind of you know fantastic player up front i mean that game at the weekend against Boca was probably a really good example of just how mature he is now uh in the sense that opening goal he scores what in the eighth minute when um, you know, he basically pushes a defender off him, shoulder barges the guy to the ground, turn rounds, he fires this absolute rocket into the back of the net. Uh, and then just before half time, um, you know, he gets on the end of a counter attack and just kind of mm. casually, you know, lobs the ball over the goalkeeper. This is those were the kind of goals that you'd expect, like a Robert Lewandowski or you know, an Erling Haaland or someone to score, uh, mm-hmm. who obviously have a lot more experience not just in terms of scoring goals and showing that they can score goals, but being the kind of focal point up front. And I just think he's having such an, a remarkable moment at the moment. Um, obviously, primarily for Dortmund, because obviously the unfortunate nature of Sebastian Haller having to bow out this season, uh, Anthony mm-hmm. Modesto not working. And for Makoko to come into this team, and I think he's sitting on eight goals and four assists in 12 games, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, six goals and four assists. Mm-hmm. Um it's really quite remarkable. And actually his goal scoring record is even more remarkable when you kind of break it down because as things stand in the Bundesliga, um, I think there's five players above him with a higher goals per 90, but only two of them play regularly. Uh, that's obviously Chupa Moting at Bayern, who, you know, as we all know, is having quite a moment himself. Uh, and then there's, you know, Marcus Ingversten uh, at Mainz, who's got just a bit slightly higher uh, goals per 90 than him. But so we're talking about a player here who has a higher goals per 90 than Chris Runkunku, a higher goals per 90 than Jamal Musiala. Um, and I think what also makes it so interesting is that he's playing up front for a Dortmund team that aren't actually very good at scoring goals. You know, we always we always just assume that Dortmund are like these kind of like cavalier, gung-ho attacking sides that, okay, yeah, they're a little careless in defence and they struggle to hold on mm. to leads and you know they can they can they can concede silly goals, but actually this Dortmund side are quite poor in attack. You know their attacking stats. I think I think they're maybe only like fifth mm. or sixth for goals scored. Something similar for their xG as well. So he's not sitting up front in a Dortmund side that's battering sides every week. Um, he's actually feeding yeah. off scraps, and he's still and he's still scoring goals for them. So that makes me think that actually he would be quite good up front for Germany. Um, whether he does or not, I'm not so sure. I think we're probably still more like, more likely to see. Flick to start, uh, flick to turn to someone like Serge Gnabry, uh, to at least to start uh, those that kind of role up front and that kind of false nine or maybe Kai Havertz and then mm-hmm. someone like Mukuku can come off the bench perhaps. But I think what we're seeing right now for him at Dortmund is him showing that he's capable of being the senior number nine who can lead the line for, you know, what the second biggest team in Germany right now. So all the signs are there to suggest that he's saying to Flick, "Look, pick me." Uh, I'm ready to play. Yeah, I think that the, I find it really interesting with the the, the Mukuku thing is too, like because I, you know, you know that I'm always like a glass half full guy, um, and hope I will secretly root for for Germany to win this World Cup, obviously. But um, I'm also realistic enough to know that it is a long shot, and I also think that Flick is using this tournament primarily to get this team ready for the 2024 uh, European Championships, which are obviously hosted by Germany. So I think it's quite intriguing to see Musiala and Mukuku together because in two years' time, they will be in their early 20s, right? They're 19 and 20, or that's still very young. But you get what I mean. Like you, you, can, you can develop that chemistry now. And ideally, they will be the backbone of Germany's attack for a long time. So... 
you can almost use this tournament almost as a staging ground um, and, and kind of see how you can fit those two pieces together. Um, obviously, still trying to win the World Cup, but also just giving um, kids like those two an opportunity to just start to gel together and also be integrated in in a general Germany attack that is still quite young too, right? You're looking at Kai Havertz, Serge Gnabry, uh, Leroy Sané and all these guys. And I think the Flick might use this as an opportunity and say, well, he's ready now. We might as well give him the time to to, to start getting ready for when, when it matters in the next mm. 10 years or so. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, I guess it kind of comes down to how Flick looks at this World Cup, whether it's a kind of transition one or if it's a tournament that he really wants to win. Um, obviously, Mukuku, if he continues to play like the way he has done for for Dortmund, then you know he's going to be a Germany star going forward. And especially when you consider the fact that there's not really any standout contenders to kind of compete with them in that number nine position. You know, we've kind of we could spend the whole day talking about the mm. the the benefits of playing someone like Kai Havertz up front. Yeah, of course, he kind of has that aerial threat. He's a smart player. He's probably a lot better than Chelsea are getting out of him, as we know, uh, at Leverkusen. Uh, Serge Gnabry's played that role mm. quite well in the past, but again, it's not really his initial, even though maybe that's where he wants to play and maybe that's what he hammered home in his, in his recent contract uh, with Bayern Munich that he wants to play there. Um he hasn't really blown anyone away with his performances at number nine. So you're right. It's the, the other. It's another interesting aspect to it that not only does Hansi Flick maybe want him uh, because he needs him for this World Cup, but maybe he's also thinking, well, I need to embed this guy pretty quickly into my team because I don't really have any other alternatives uh, going forward. And to add to that, also make Cameroon go away. We could maybe snatch him up, right? Because he also has uh, Cameroonian <laughs> citizenship. So... Um, that will make them go away because the moment he plays in the World Cup, he's cap tied, and <laughs> so that's an added benefit mm. there as well. You silence any kind of possibility of any other country coming in, like they did for Chupumoting, and boy, would we need him now! Um, so to basically, essentially, secure Mukuko. Um, I, I think that's an interesting, interesting party of that discussion as well. Um, that he is a dual citizen, and you do kind of want to make maybe sure that. No one else can come in. Um, not that I think he's he's going to go and, and join another federation. I mean, he's quite embedded in the U21 already, um, which has been a great jumping off point mm. for, for a lot of young German players. But I guess that would just make double sure. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think mm. I, I personally think he's going to be on the plane. The World Cup roster is going to be announced on uh, Thursday at noon, German time. Um, I think... There's 26 players. We know he's going to take four goalkeepers, right? Um, which which means that Neuer, Trapp, uh, Ter Stegen, and someone else is going, possibly Baumann. And then I think it's going to be interesting what he's going to do with all these additional spots that he has. Um, one that just got freed up with Werner. So I think there's going to be at least one surprise um, on top of Mukuku. And we'll see what that is. Well, the way players are getting injured right now, there might be more than one surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, let's move on real quick to, um, you know, I, I mentioned on the top of the show, but um, Frankfurt, again, looking really good uh, on this match day. Uh, and we were talking about, and this is, this is a story that kind of started breaking today, um, they have been so good in their recruitment, right? Um, they won again this weekend. They, they're still in that very top, hanging out with Dortmund, Union, Freiburg, and uh, Bayern Munich. Um, and they signed another young, exciting player in Paxton Aronson. Again, um, more on that on, in the newsletter. But Manga, their, um, their chef scout, who has been able to unearth all these guys like uh, Kolum Moani and so on, and ha has... You know, he was also involved in a scandal where they hacked the RB Leipzig uh, database for scouting. But he's apparently off to a Premier League team, Stefan. That's going to be interesting. Is this maybe Chelsea finally having found a sporting director? <laughs> yeah, possibly. After ringing around every 
football club in the in the continent, it would seem. Uh, I don't know a huge amount about the story, to be honest. I saw it mentioned on the news today. Uh, I don't know a huge amount about a huge amount yeah. about him in Frankfurt, but I'll be really intrigued to see. You know, I saw some reports saying that he's basically leaving because he wants more control over things and maybe he wants to play a more kind of uh, a bigger role at another club, which I guess is understandable. I think it doesn't fall entirely. Uh, it's not entirely different, rather, from the Mislintat situation at Dortmund. I think who obviously moved on from being a head mm. scout there. Now, of course, that was more to do with him specifically falling out with people at Dortmund, but he obviously moved from there to a more uh, a, a larger role at uh, Arsenal. I think he was still technically head of scouting, but he obviously played a bigger role there. And then obviously used that to move back to Stuttgart, yeah. where he's now more or less the de facto sporting director um, or f- head of football operations or whatever you want to call it. So the thing that made me, what it made me think about was um, a conversation I was actually having with a colleague about German football um, in general a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about. Um, you know, just these big clubs around Germany and how so many of them underperform. And we were talking about Hamburg at one point and, you know, my colleague was saying how, you know, yeah, we've got these same kind of board members and chief executives and things in charge. Mm. And I was kind of saying how common it seems to be in German football that the people running these clubs aren't actually usually that good at actually doing their jobs. And he made a good point to me where he's like, yeah, you know, in a lot of other industries, it would have been found out, they would have been sacked because, you know, the shareholders wouldn't have accepted the quarterly results or something. And I think there's something maybe to that in terms of, you know, German football is obviously, I think it has a degree of stability in it that a lot of other uh, leagues don't have because obviously it's fan-owned, uh, which in itself pulls away the necessity for result-driven as a, the need for every club to be a result-driven business. So, you know, you have a lot of kind of chief executives and board members and chairmen who have been at these clubs for 10 or 15 years and they just kind of, they just seem to just sit through the good times and the bad times without any real repercussions for what happens, you know. Uh, you know, you could talk about Hamburg in that situation, you can talk about Schalke, Werder Bremen, even Dortmund to a large extent, the way that they've just kind of just totally just plateaued over the last five or six years. Um, these guys never seem to get um, much grief or pressure from fan groups to move on. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of examples of like ultras, um, you know, being quite vocal on the on the on the on the terraces, but it's not the same as other industries in that regard. And I do wonder if this Frankfurt story is an example of quite an ambitious scout maybe wanting to make step up the ladder at a club like Frankfurt, but he's aware of the fact that, you know, nobody's going to move on unless they retire. Yeah, I think it's also, in this case, Markus Krusche has come in and his transfers um, have, have been working out quite well this year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he was behind the Götzig transfer, the Mbimba transfer, and um, one other guy that escapes me right now. And I think that... Um, there was an opportunity to go with Bobic to, to Hertha because the two of them work quite closely. Um, and that didn't materialize at the time. And instead, Frankfurt signed this um, signed Mamba to another extension to 2026. I think this is... I think this is just a case of, you know, the, the role was already filled and then Frankfurt maybe not necessarily seeing the guy as someone who can step up to, to the sporting director role. Um, but you're quite right. Like you, when you become, when you can't seek promotion within the company that you work, that's usually how people react, right? They, they, they go and look somewhere else. And if a premier league team can come in and offer that promotion, um, I mean, why wouldn't you take that opportunity? I think the risk is that it could turn out like Minzel Tat from Stuttgart, who then became, uh, went into a bigger role. And it actually turns out that he was just one mechanism of a lot. Like he was just one cock in the wheel mm. in, in finding these talents that Dortmund found. And Dortmund actually ended up still identifying players quite well um, afterwards. It's an interesting question. I guess we won't find out until he does go somewhere else and, um, you know, joins another club. Um, but yeah, Frankfurt... I think it's an interesting story overall. I just wanted to bring it up because I know we have a lot of American listeners 
and um, they're probably curious about where where Paxton is ending up and how he's got there. And um, I think by and large, Frankfurt have been very good at identifying talent, and I, I'm pretty sure that's going to continue even um, if Manga does leave the club. All right, shall we talk about the Champions League then, Stefan? Um, the Champions League draw, which is... <laughs> I wasn't sure if you expected me to move on, just keep talking about that, or just let you move on to the next topic. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's just move on to the next topic. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Champions League draw, and this is, this is what I'm looking at at the phone. I have to actually get it in front of me. Um, let's start with Frankfurt, because I actually think that is the most intriguing one mm. of the bunch. Um, obviously, a lot of people say Bayern PSG, but come on, we had that game now a few times. But um, I think there is no better draw than Frankfurt against Napoli. These are the two teams with the, the hottest stadium atmospheres in their respective countries. Um, there is the sense that both of them are emerging football clubs. Um, mm. Football clubs that have a, a history of being big clubs in the past, right? And sort of are now having this resurgence. Some exciting players on both teams. I think that a lot of European teams are watching at the moment, whether it's Kvaratskhelia from Napoli or a bunch of Frankfurt players like Kolomuani, Kamada, etc. Hmm. This is a juicy tie, Stefan. Uh, and I think this is going to be, I think and I know a lot of people said Napoli is going to be the favorites, but I think it's going to be closer than people think. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, I think... I mean, I think Napoli has showed in that group stage just what they're capable of, and I think they have some outstanding players. And unfortunately, the way of the European football now, they just kind of strike me as one of those teams that are obviously just kind of on the cusp of greatness before they get dismantled by bigger clubs. They kind of remind me of that Ajax team from mm-hmm. a few years ago uh, who were just kind of all-conquering. Yeah. Um, and I do kind of fear for Frankfurt in this regard. I mean, they've obviously come up against some very good teams, um, you know, not only in this Champions League group, but also last season in the Europa League. And then, and they've shown that they can kind of go toe-to-toe with some very good sides. Um, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see what Napoli looks like in four months' time, you know, because they, got, they have so many players who could very easily move on in, in January, um, particularly those forward players, particularly those forward players who actually I don't think are going to the World Cup, Some most of them. So they could end up being real. They could end up going for a real premium in the January transfer window. So we we'll kind of have to wait and see. But I don't think, you know, I don't think Frankfurt um, will be entirely bemused by this um, tie, just because they obviously knew they were going to have to come up against someone pretty solid. Uh, they're at, they're obviously at this point in the competition where they're the underdogs, no matter who they play. Uh, and I think it could have been a lot worse, to be perfectly honest with you. As good as Napoli are, they're not Manchester City. They're not you know, uh, a Real Madrid or PSG or Bayern Munich or whatever else, um, they do have faults and they are capable of being beaten. So, yeah, I think Frankfurt will probably quite, I think they'll probably relish this opportunity, even if they do end up um, struggling to win it. Yeah, I think for them, this is almost like a bonus game anyways, right? I think every every round in the Champions League from here on forward is a bonus round, yeah. which makes them pretty dangerous, I think. Um Leipzig against City. Now that is a bonus round. <laughs> you would think that City probably goes through here, right? Yeah, I mean, the only thing that's maybe making me think that Leipzig could put up an arc, put up a big fight, is the way that you know, obviously Marco Rosa has got this team playing really, really well. Uh, they seem to be getting every getting better every week, mm. uh, and they'll obviously have a huge amount of time off during the pre uh, during the break to continue working on things and unless Guardiola and Nkunku move on in January then you'd assume Leipzig will be in better shape in the second half of the season uh, not to mention mm. the fact that they've obviously managed to beat Real Madrid recently as well so they they quite literally beat the European champion so there's no reason why they can't maybe go one step further or maybe not even one step further actually do something technically lower than that in, in beating English champions but um, having said all that, I still feel like Man City are actually probably the team to beat in the Champions League this season. I know Bayern are up there as well. They've done very well, but I still kind of feel like Man City are the kind of automatic favourites for the tournament just because of the amount of money they've spent, the amount of depth they have in that squad uh, and the players they have. So, yeah, I wouldn't be holding out much hope for Leipzig uh, in this tie, which, you know, again, that's absolutely fine. I think they're probably just quite delighted they managed to get out of their group, to be honest with you. 
yeah, I think this is. I, I think they're going to try to win it. Don't get me wrong. Hmm. Um, but obviously, they they're also going to focus on a lot of other things. And I think this is this is a little bit of a bonus round for them. Um, next, Dortmund against Chelsea. <sighs> this is so hard to tell what Chelsea will look like when this comes around next time. Like, how many players will sporting director and owner Boley have bought by the time Dortmund meet Chelsea finally? Um, I guess the headline here is that it's Kai Havertz returns to Germany. Uh, Albert Meyang returns to his old club. Um, Pulisic as well, right? Mm. Uh, if he's still there. When this comes around, I mean, this is this is, I think also a big question mark for Chelsea. Is Pulisic still a Chelsea player when when he meets Dortmund or gasp? Maybe he's a Dortmund player because we've see, <laughs> seen so many comebacks at Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> um, don't radio this, by the way. This is just me um, me talking nonsense. But this is an interesting matchup, and I think this could easily go either way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think. If this was being played tomorrow or next week, I think Dortmund would really fancy their chances, to be honest. Chelsea look like... Not only do they look like they're in a real tricky transition under a new head coach, but they also look like they have a squad that needs a huge amount of investment. Uh, you, you know, you kind of made a quip about Bowley, obviously, spending money in January, but I actually think that'll probably be necessary uh, just from the fact that uh, he's... That, that team just doesn't seem to be working that well. It's, it's kind of weird to think... like. <laughs> The kind of annoying thing, not the annoying thing, but the kind of weird thing about football is that, you know, a football club can sack a head coach and say, you're not doing well enough. We need to bring someone in to replace you. And then Mm. maybe a month or two into that new head coach being in the job, they'll quite openly talk about how the squad isn't good enough and how they have to sign new players, which then, you know, if you read between the lines, it's then basically admitting that they probably should have sacked the head coach in the first place and maybe they should have just held on to him and brought in uh, some new players. But... I think Green Potter is a decent head coach. I think he'll probably have Chelsea playing well by the time they play Dortmund. So I think that kind of time scale probably plays against Dortmund to a large extent. But you know, you could you could maybe make the exact same argument for Dortmund in that regard. They're nowhere near as good as they probably should be. Mm-hmm. Uh they're still missing key players. Uh maybe by this point Gio Reyna's really kind of got into the swing of things. He's doing very well. Uh, you know, and you know, we talked about Makuku at the top of the show. Maybe he continues to go from strength to strength after a good World Cup with Germany. Mm. So I think these two teams could look very different from how they are now. So I completely agree with you. This one's up in the air. I think just on paper, Chelsea obviously have a better squad because they've spent a lot more money on it. But uh, yeah, it's one that can change very quickly between now and uh, when they get, the fixtures get played. Yeah. Yeah, it's super interesting. Um I think the the final game. I I know you, this this is this is where I'm totally the most optimistic, and um, bear with me here. I think that there is going to be a lot of post World Cup problems at PSG, and I think Bayern is going to benefit from that. But also, there's a huge difference to the last time they met. That uh, this time Bayern won't be be dependent on Robert Lewandowski anymore. Um, because the, the entire setup of that team is very different. They're very much built for Champions League football, aren't they? And um, I think that it's going to be... I mean, I, I posted... We have this chat on the Substack, right? Uh, we're going to read some comments later, but I posted this popcorn emoji because I think there's going to be a huge World Cup hangover for either Neymar or Messi. Um I think a lot of people think that either one of those those two will win the World Cup. Mm. Messi is with one leg, one and a half legs at MLS. He's going to join Inter Miami in the summer, right? Um, Neymar is so hot and cold. Um, and then Kylian Mbappe. Like, do we even know if he's still at PSG when this game comes around? I mean, he certainly doesn't want to be there anymore. Or sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. So I think Bayern are probably looking at this and they're like, this is a this is an exciting game for us. Um, a big European name coming to the Allianz Arena. We can sell this as a clash of giants. And internally also thinking, it's like, oh, we can beat these guys. I think this is probably how Bayern looks at this. They're probably quite smitten about this. 
Yeah, maybe. Do you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure I share your optimism in this regard because, you know, we can talk about whether Mbappe wants to be the club and whether Neymar or Messi will be tired mm. after the World Cup, but we have to bear in mind that the other team are currently relying on, what, 36-year-old Chupa Moting to lead the line for them. And they don't, and they and, and they don't seem to have a plan if he's not in the squad. Now, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to dunk on Chupa Moting right now because he's obviously having, he's in great form for Bayern Munich, and he's certainly doing the job that's been asked of him. So you can't really argue with that. But as I've said on recent podcasts, it's all very well and good that Nagelsmann's been able to slot Chupa, slot Chupa Moting into that team to kind of get them over the line over these last couple of weeks, but. When the latter stages of the Champions League come around, if Bayern are lining up with Chopa Moting up front, then PSG of all clubs will probably be thinking, right, well, we know how to handle this guy because he played for us and we know exactly what he's capable of and what he isn't capable <laughs> of. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I just kind of feel like I think Bayern probably have to, and I think Nagelsmann probably will do this. I think he'll probably go back to the drawing board during this break uh, and try and figure out a more sustainable long-term solution to that attacking lineup because the team that he built at the start of the season, the team that were scoring a number, a great number of goals and had Sadio Mane in it. And, you know, we saw them kind of dismantle uh, into Milan and Barcelona. And I remember talking about it at the time saying, you know, while this kind of dynamic front line may struggle in the Bundesliga against teams that defend very deep, uh, they might actually do very well against a bigger club. So maybe, maybe you know, by this point, Sadio Mane is really locked in. He's clicking into gear. And that kind of dynamic, strikeless formation is what we see against PSG, and it works very well. But I still feel like PSG are capable of kind of... I think they're capable of really knocking any team out of this tournament, to be honest with you, just because of the sheer amount of quality they have. And I also kind of fear for Bayern in the sense that they're now up against a PSG side that are well aware of what Bayern have done to them in the past, um, you know, and they'll be kind of out gunning to try and make up for that in the past, obviously, uh, you know, what happened in Lisbon. And I, I just feel like that could play against Bayern as well in the sense that they're going to be up against a PSG side that will be anything but um, complacent. Um, so I think it's going to be a tough game. By no means am I saying that, you know, PSG are going to knock out Bayern Munich. I think it's going to be a proper outstanding two legs of you know yep. of two teams going toe-to-toe with one another uh, and I think it's going to really hang in the balance to be honest with you and two teams that can't afford to go out at this stage I think that's also that adds quite a lot to this because Bayern and PSG cannot go out in the round of 16 mm. the, the pressure internally will be massive um, yeah. If either one of these clubs go out, and yeah, I think that is that, that is something that really really interesting. Yeah, that's actually maybe a good segue to talk about the subscriber uh, comments on this because NK yeah. NK said uh, he, he he talked about the other games at first. He said should be good games. Little concerned about the fact a scenario exists and isn't crazy where all Bundesliga teams are eliminated. Assuming no massive injuries during World Cup, we'd have to think Dortmund and Bayern are probably two most likely to advance. Leipzig least likely, and haven't watched any Napoli, so don't know about Frankfurt. But then he says, also, if Bayern lose, dreading all the fire Julian Nagelsmann posts on social media and everything, which is a good point, you know, because if they do get knocked out of the last 16, it will be a repeat of last year, albeit against a much mm. better team. But that's kind of why Nagelsmann was hired to a large extent. But let, let me just kind of run through some more of these comments uh, we can kind of wrap up this section maybe but um, Jason Cunnington says I still think Bayern can go all the way this year especially now they've started using number 9 so he disagrees with me entirely he thinks Chupa Moting is going to win them the Champions League fair play uh, Robert Carvantes <laughs> says long way from February but in current form got to say Dortmund over Chelsea poor Leipzig are not getting past Haaland and KDB obviously Kim De Bruyne uh, UEFA insists on this mm. Bayern PSG matchup like it was some magical rivalry created in Lisbon it's a good point uh, Michael Schaefer says Bayern and Dortmund have a fair chance of advancing no I could see either tripping up I'd be a little surprised if Leipzig or Frankfurt get past a round of 16 some moron called Mano Vett mm. says long time until February of course but Bayern should be fine don't know if I agree with that <laughs> uh, <laughs> Greg Weiserman says I agree with Manuel Manuel I agree with Manu great draw for Bayern Dortmund and Frankfurt we all know PSG's <laughs> big three after World Cup will not be together a lot after World Cup 
Chelsea is a straight disaster, and I have a feeling Napoli will have been great. Who have been great will lose some players over the winter. Also, will the scout Frankfurt lose? Oh, yes, that's a question mm. about uh, the scout leaving Frankfurt, which we covered. Uh, Matthew Starr says, yep. I, think it's the la- I think it's the last point. Uh, not as down on Leipzig against Man City, though still unlikely they will progress. They played them decently in the group stages last year while they were still struggling in the Bundesliga. Bayern versus PSG feels very much like a toss-up. Post-World Cup, health and hangover dependent. I imagine Chelsea will bolster their squad over the winter, so maybe a different team by the time Dortmund face them, but I would think Dortmund advance. Frankfurt-Napoli should be an absolute blast if Napoli hold on to a team and remain on form. Would expect Napoli to progress. And for anyone wondering why I've just read all those comments, those are, of course, from our paying subscribers uh, who can now get in touch with us on a near enough daily basis in the chat function on, on the Substack app. So if you're not subscribed up to the newsletter, mm. do consider giving it a go because not only do you get our newsletters and f- add free versions of the podcast, but you can now have a chat with us day-to-day whenever we post point post uh, topics in the chat. So yeah, and those guys have done and that's why we've read out their comments on the podcast. Yeah. And it's more and more people doing it um, and we really appreciate it. Plus it's also a lot more fun on Twitter where people just yell at each other. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it might become more and more relevant now that uh, the more, Don- <laughs> I was going to say Donald Trump, the more Elon Musk gets his hands on, tr- on Twitter. No, that's a Freudian slip. Yeah, Anyhow, I think it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anyhow, um, as I said, um, usually we would have a preview show for the English, like for the, the Bundesliga match day that's upcoming. But because the we have an English Woche midweek, we're just going to rush through these predictions real quick. Uh, we do these predictions in association with Get German Football News. So please give them a follow, check them out as well. Um, they were kind enough to always uh, post our predictions and uh, keep count on who's leading. So, Stefan, let's do this real quick. Mm. Um, start with Wolfsburg against Dortmund. My prediction is 2-1 Dortmund. How about you? 2-2, Will. 2-2 between them. Okay. Bayern against Werder. I went for 3-0 win for Bayern. How about you? I go for 3-1 win for Bayern. Okay. Okay, okay. Uh, Bochum against Gladbach. I went for 3-1 Gladbach. I've gone for a 1-1 draw. I'm feeling a little low on Gladbach right now. Mm, fair enough. Uh, Stuttgart-Hertha. I went for a 2-2 draw here. Mm, I've gone for a 2-0 win for Hertha, who I think have improved recently. Oh, interesting. Köln-Leverkusen. And this is the match of the week. Um just has to be mm. and i actually think leverkusen are going to continue the positive trend and they're going to win this game 3-0 uh, i've also gone for a leverkusen win because i think Cologne are quite rubbish right now um so yeah i've gone for a 2-1 win for leverkusen leipzig against freiburg the repeat of the german cup final and i went for a 3-1 five uh Lever- leipzig win, not leverkusen not freiburg <laughs> 3-1 leipzig win um yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I've gone for a Leverkusen win too. I think it's going to be really tight though. So I've gone for 2 1 win. Leipzig, you mean, right? Sorry, apologies. Bloody hell. Yeah. You've got me confused. <laughs> 2 1 to Leipzig against Freiburg. Yes. I think Leipzig will win. <laughs> okay. We both got a win here for Leipzig. Leipzig, not Leverkusen or Freiburg. Leipzig. <laughs> uh, Union against Augsburg. And I think actually Union are going to rebound here and they're going to win this game 2-1. Yeah, I've gone for something similar. I've gone for a very narrow 1-0 win because I still think Augsburg are a decent side. And I think Union are struggling a wee bit right now. I feel like they're a little out of gas. So yeah, 1-0 to Union. Frankfurt against Hoffenheim. Uh, I think the Eagles are going to keep soaring 2-0 for Frankfurt. Yeah, I feel similarly. I've gone for a 3-1 win for Frankfurt. And finally, Schalke against Mainz. Mainz are going to win this narrowly 1-0. I think this game is going to be absolutely dreadful, uh, and I implore any Bundesliga fan to not watch it, Um, which usually means it's going to be a 5-4 barnstormer. But uh, yeah, I've gone for for a 0-0 draw. Awesome. There we go. That's uh, your predictions. We're going to obviously also pick a match of the week. What's your match of the week? Real quick. Uh, I will go for Leipzig versus Freiburg because Leipzig, I think, could maybe overtake them in the table. I've totally just yeah. pulled out the top of my head. So, no, no still Freiburg some way off. Second. 
Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. Still, still somewhere some... off. Oh uh, well, they, they would be. Uh, they would they'd close the gap to two points, I think. Yeah, two points, which would be really yeah. interesting. It's very, it's very tight, very tight at the top. Uh, I think Köln against Leverkusen, the Rhein derby, is a must-watch. Um, but you're gonna get more on those uh, over at Get German Football News, the predictions. Mm. And yeah, Stefan, we'll be back back midweek. Um, I assume probably somewhere in between the the, the match day. 13 no 14 i think it is um and then finally we're gonna have the preview show for for the final uh match day before the world cup mm. um so the last time of a tight schedule on gegenpressing um after that is world cup and i guess we'll figure out the scheduling for for that tournament um and more stuff so as always the show is brought to you by bet online and this podcast is also in association with Get German Football News. And anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? Uh, no, not really. Just a big thank you to everyone who continues to support us, either through Substack or YouTube or even just on Twitter. Uh, we always appreciate it. So thank you very much. Yeah, thanks a ton. And we'll be back later this week. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.